gosh, that music gets me every time. I really don't know about you guys, but that opening segment, you know, literally just panning beside the little yellow beetle as we really just follow this winding road. That's right. I want to talk about the 1980s psychological horror uh, produced and directed by everyone's favorite Stanley Kubrick and of course from the genius mind Stephen King The Shining um, so uh, guys say it's cast here is I hope we all have come to, to figure out. Uh, but anyways, um, after talking about it last week, I just I was really inspired about uh, to talk to you guys a little bit about The Shining, uh, just because this is definitely one of my favorites. Um, something I saw when I was a lot younger and didn't quite fully grasp um, the importance of it, let alone just, you know, how how this creative this film is. I mean, literally right down to the uh, flower uh, containers that we see on the wall. Stanley uh, definitely positioned that in a specific reason. And, and we're going to get into that later on. But it's it, it definitely there's nothing done in this film that doesn't have some sort of significance to the director. So it just I find that really, really cool. Uh, anyway, so this is one film that really did not involve Stephen King, which to me is sort of disappointing. I'd love to see kind of how him and Kubrick could have come together, but just honestly, you know, too many cooks in this case, uh, which is too bad, but, um, just both geniuses couldn't, couldn't come to terms with each other. Uh, but anyways, Kubrick would, uh, would partner up with Diane Johnson, um, <clears throat> In, uh, in writing the script and uh, he would base this off the 1977 novel The Shining so you know it's shortly after its release and definitely still fresh within the reader's minds now um, there's definitely uh, inconsistencies and a- ambiguities but definitely some symbolism and differences between the book and uh, and the film itself but um, I, I I love that for, for that reason alone it just it, they did take Stephen King, make it an adaptation, but it, it's definitely done right in in that sense. You know, I, I didn't feel disappointed. So, uh, cool fun facts. Scorsese ranks this as one of the 11 scariest horror films of all time and definitely has an enormous influence on pop culture, which we're going to talk about later on. So, uh, essentially, the plot follows our, uh, our aspiring writer, also a recovering alcoholic, who takes the position of an off-season caretaker in an isolated historic hotel known as the Over look hotel in the Colorado Rockies. So wintering here with his wife and his son, um, his son will possess a power known as the shining or the shine, um, which is an array of psychic abilities. Um, and basically opening up to hell on earth, which is located within the walls of this, uh, snow, uh, snowbound and stranded hotel. So, um, Kubrick, uh, would bring the production together in basically two different locations. Uh, the interior shots would be at another location and the exterior was another location. So, um, he would use, uh, L Street Studios with sets, uh, to base, uh, for the interior, um, and work basically with a small crew. And unlike, uh, his previous works, this gained nor, nor, notoriety by word of mouth so it wasn't just a mass release to all the theaters uh, it was just a couple theaters and then from there it became a mass opening within uh, within two weeks so uh or sorry within a month um it started within two u.s cities on memorial day and then ma- 
it went nationwide from there. So it would be the first film to show a steady cam, which is uh, basically it was brand new at the time, and it's uh, it's definitely used in se several scenes to give this innovative and immersive look and feel, and essentially it holds the camera in place so uh, it it doesn't allow for the um, in, in interjection of the person moving the camera, but we'll, we'll talk about that later on. So getting back to the plot, um, Jack is looking for a job and takes an interview, uh, essentially for this hotel. Um, you know, we learned that the hotel during the interview, we learned that the hotel is isolated. All the alcohol is taken away, which to him is perfect being the recovering alcoholic. And he's looking forward to the isolation to essentially write his novel. Um, and of course it, it's, Perfect. You get the opportunity to bring your wife, your son, and basically live out between October and April. Um, so the Torrance family arrives at uh, at the Overlook Hotel, which is 25 miles from the closest city. Um, and uh, essentially, it's built on a Native American burial ground, which we're, we're told about during the initial uh, tour. Now, uh, during the, uh, the winter from October to May, you know, they're told about how isolating uh, it can be and how uh, how much snow that they do receive and uh, Jack learns about how the previous uh, caretakers actually ended up developing cabin fever and killed his family and later himself Jack uh, you know kind of brushes this off uh, but before leaving basically Danny before leaving for the Colorado Rockies Danny um, and his uh, his friend uh, Tony basically has this terrifying premonition of the hotel and he sees a cascade of blood emerging from the elevator as he falls into this sort of trance which his mother Wendy seems to take as almost like a seizure now uh, we do find out at this point talking to the doctors that uh, at one point this is why Jack has given up drinking is that he dislocated Danny's shoulder uh, during a night of binge drinking and um, and this this basically occurred due to a, a mess with his paperwork uh, if I recall in the book and uh from there you know this is why jack has made the decision uh and she kind of eludes me this is what's going on and why he has tony now um they're uh, given a tour of the hotel and uh, we meet the chef dick halloran and he surprises danny by offering him ice cream telepathically now dick would later explain that him and his grandmother had this uh ability and they called it the shine and um essentially uh Danny and him become friends, and he asks him, is, is there anything that he should be afraid of, especially in room 237? Now, it, this is kind of the best explanation Dick gives him, is that the hotel has many memories. These memories are no more than just pictures in a book, you know, letting him know that they're not real. It's kind of in his imagination. Now, um, at the at very end of all this, he does say to stay away from room 237. So we're one month in, and um, Jack's writing, of course, has gone nowhere, and we're led to see Wendy and Danny exploring the hedge maze. Um, Halloran's in Florida enjoying his time off, and um, Wendy learns that uh, all the phones are out due to the heavy snowfall and storm that's coming, and is basically stuck using only the radio. Now, uh, Danny's visions are getting worse, and uh, at the same time, Jack's increasingly more and more frustrated. So, um, he's he's starting to actually be prone now to violent outbursts. So, uh, Danny's curiosity gets the best of him, uh, and he finally goes into 237, where he's attacked. And uh, he comes in just tranced to uh, to Wendy and Jack, where they ask him what happens, and uh, he says he was attacked by a crazy woman. Jack goes in to investigate, seeing the ghost of a dead woman, but doesn't actually lead on or tell anyone about this. So um, they later argue if they should, should take Danny away, um, which Jack 
leads Jack off in a violent outburst and he returns to the gold room where it's uh, all the ghosts are attending a ball. He meets with Grady, the previous caretaker, um, and basically he who he alludes to correcting the wife and kid um, Jack kind of hints at what he did to his kids but uh, he says you know he has no memory of this so um, Danny's reached out to Dick at this point um, talk basically worried about what's going on um, and uh, Danny starts calling out red rum during this trance uh, and referring to himself and Tony now uh, Dick Books the next flight out. He starts being very, very concerned what's going on in Colorado, um, and and is basically uh, going to be the next one there. So uh, well, uh, well, looking for Jack, uh, well, looking for Wendy. Um, for Jack, Wendy discovers his manuscript with the infamous line, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And this is written several times over. Uh, Jack then surprises her. Um, and uh, she says that she's leaving with Danny. He then threatens threatens them, which she then threatens back with a baseball bat, saying she will knock him unconscious, which she does, and drags him into the kitchen uh, and locks him in the pantry. Her and Danny, though, are trapped as they discovered that he's disabled the uh, two-way radio as well as the snow cat, so the only way out. And uh, basically, Grady opens the door to let Jack out, and, um, and basically this, you know opens Jack to, uh, to, to go correct his wife and son, um, where Danny writes Red Room, which finally, uh, reflected through the mirror. Wendy sees that this is the word murder. And, uh, and then Jack starts coming after them with the ax and chopping through the main door. Um, she sends when Wendy sends Danny through the bathroom window where she knows she can't make it. Um, Jack's going to break through with the infamous here's Johnny line, uh, which we all uh, definitely love. Um, but, uh, but later retreats is when he slashes his hand with the butcher's knife that she's uh, collected earlier on. We hear Dick arrive, which basically startles uh, startles Jack and he leaves the room. He will then murder Dick later in the lobby. Um, it's kind of one of those surprise surprise kills. And, uh, and then Wendy runs through the hotel looking for Danny and starts seeing the ghosts and the cascade of blood as uh, Danny envisioned in Boulder. Uh, she finds Dick's corpse and uh, runs out into the snow. Uh, Danny, of course, is... is trying to chase after Wendy as well and uh, escaping Jack at the same time. They both run towards the snow cat and escape, leaving Jack to run along in the snow and later freeze, which we later zoom out um, on a photo in the hotel, dated July 4th, 1921. And you can see Jack centered there in the center. Now, um, sort of basically ramble on there, guys, with the plot, but all of this means so much, and it's uh, it's definitely pretty cool. So, looking at a casting um, for Jack, Kubrick's number one choice was um, Jack Nicholson, of course. De Niro uh, was one, um, and but it just it, the the thought of it gave him nightmares. They thought about Robin Williams as well as uh, Harrison Ford, but both of these met with King's disapproval. I mean, this book essentially is kind of like King's autobiography. He was recovering alcoholic at the time, and uh, you know these didn't meet with uh, with Jack and what he, what he envisioned. Now, a uh, cool thing about Danny, uh, he's. Kubrick set a couple out to go into select cities looking for a distinct accent. Uh, and the reason being is that he wanted um, <clears throat> the child to have a speech pattern which matched Shelley and Jack, which I thought was pretty cool. 
Uh, like I was saying earlier about the set, the interior would be uh, the large parts are shot in the Alawani Hotel, and the exterior is shot within the Timberland Lodge Hotel in Oregon. And this com- combination gives us our, our overlook. Now, the panoramic opening uh, shot, which I was mentioning with the opening music, uh, is definitely... If you have not seen this film, just Google it for that that opening scene alone. It's really chilling. It's some of the uh, the meaning behind it. I find really cool. Um, essentially, you know, you're following this insignificant car to uh, a song that says, I can't remember the name, but it's a funeral march. So essentially, um, a lot of uh, theorists believe, you know, you're watching the death, the approaching death of something. Um, it's just really amazing scene. It, it, I mean, it's been studied right up there with the psycho uh, shower scene. So just so cool. Definitely worth checking out. There's so many meanings behind it. Um, <clears throat> and in the book, that beetle was supposed to be read. Like I said earlier, King and Kubrick didn't get along. King was not on set to do this. So this is essentially Kubrick's big fuck you to Stephen King, essentially, saying this is my vehicle, not yours, and I'm going to do what I want with it. So, um, like I said earlier, this is one of the first films to use Steadicam. So, it's a stabilizing mount for the camera, which is going to separate the operator's movement from the camera. So, it allows for smoother tracking shots. Um, you know, we talked about this earlier in Evil Dead, uh, but that was a more crude version of it. Um, this, this was very high-tech, very technical. I mean, for those... Uh, theorists behind it take a look Kubrick's the one that's believed to have faked the moon landing and this film is supposed to be giving hints about it so um, if there's any guy that's going to really take advantage of camera techniques it's going to be Kubrick and anything to do to help him with his his shots now the music and soundtrack is a is stylistic modernistic art music it basically is a combination of all sorts of orchestra um but each one has a hidden meaning so if you're definitely into music take a deeper look into this i mean this could be a, a whole separate podcast alone <laughs> i'm talking about the music now uh the reception i'm always interested to see what people thought about the film i guess at first there was just a little bit of a slow start at the box office but eventually it gained momentum doing well commercially um this is the summer of 1980 so you know summer box office drive-in what a chance uh, to go check out a you know a psychological horror film and, and definitely one of the best ones now um it would be praised for the overlook hotel's effective setting and Jack Nicholson's performance, but a lot of people thought the story was frustratingly uh, just had no rhyme or reason. And I guess this year, in 1980, this is the first year we'd see the Razzie Awards, and um, essentially we, you know, the Razzie Awards nominated The Shining for Worst Director and Worst Actress. So that's kind of disappointing, but uh, currently holds an 87% Rotten Tomatoes uh, review. And uh, in 2006, Roderick Ebert um, initially giving this a pretty bad review. He would uh, indicate that The Shining um, and Kubrick, the film itself challenges um, uh, us to decide who is the realistic observer. So um, definitely leaves something with you to, to contemplate and think about. Now, what everyone wants to talk about, the man himself, Stephen King. What was his response? So um, he holds mixed reviews. I saw 
different things from what I could find reading about it. I mean, he's quoted saying that although Kubrick made a film with memorable imagery, it's a poor adaptation. Um, and uh, it's basically the only only adaptation he's ever hated. But looking at Stephen King's film or novel, Danse Macabre, he lists Kubrick's film, uh, The Shining, uh, to, uh, to have contributed something of value to the horror genre. Um, by 1980, uh, you know, when this film came out, King often gave no, no or little attention to his adaptations. Um, so it, what is it, King? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Please make it a little clearer. Um, like I said earlier, he was suffering from alcoholism. So this book's going to have a little bit of a close meaning for him. Um, and in the book, the novel's main theme is alcoholism and and Jack's recovery from it and and just the breakdown of family and um when we see the film that's that's not exactly what what comes out of it it's more on the isolation and murders and just all of that sort of things going on and, and of course Kubrick's hidden meanings again if you are more into these hidden meanings and what Kubrick's trying to get across hidden and secret message please check out the film 237 um it's just it's so crazy how far people have, have gone into studying this film. I mean, they even have a whole segment on the carpets and, and the, la- the layout. Um, I just, I, I could talk on and on about it. Um, but back to King, um, you know, he had, he was quoted with a couple different things. He didn't care for Duvall playing Wendy. I mean, all she does is scream is what he quoted. And that's not the woman he wrote about in the book. So for those of you who have just seen the film, definitely check out the book because uh, Wendy has a whole other purpose. And um, essentially, uh, I didn't know. I'm going to definitely have to check this out. But in 1997, King would uh, produce a remake. Um, and he would actually be able to supervise this and use the site that originally inspired him to be the Overlook Hotel, which was the Stanley Hotel. Um, but to Kubrick, this uh, location lacked enough, lacked sufficient snow and electricity. So, um, like I was saying about the themes, I'm just going to quickly summarize these for you. Two of which people say Kubrick's trying to get across uh, the genocide of the Native Americans. So the elevator shaft that's bringing the blood up of all the Native Americans on the burial ground and bringing it forward and up. Um, and others have indicated the Holocaust and the Nazis. Um, as I said in the film 237, they talk about the typewriter. And that's actually um, a whole other segment leading into the Nazis. Um, um, you know, totally up to you guys. I even saw a part that said this hints at Kubrick faking the moon landing. So, um, you know, definitely take a look at it and let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, and as I said earlier, the pop culture, um, that here's Johnny line, we saw it in Twister. It would be replicated, but, uh, never duplicated. And of course, later on in the Simpsons, uh, Definitely tried to avoid calling this the shinning because I could just hear uh, groundskeeper Willie. Do you want to get sued, boy? Uh, in my head, um, you know, it's definitely one of my favorite adaptations uh, for this. And uh, it, for those of you who have kids or enjoy uh, animation, check out Angry Birds. Uh, two of the pigs are dressed as our favorite little Grady twins. Um, fun fact, wasn't supposed to be twins in the actual uh, book. Um, they just casted twins and then basically threw that word around set. So um, just want to quickly summarize. If you can't tell, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Kubrick is just a genius and an absolute crazy 
kook. Um, this is, you know, definitely a great horror psychological favorite and it stays with you. Um, stays with you. Definitely sits with you. And that opening scene alone is just, just worth checking it out for that. Now, um, as I said earlier, check out 237 if you've already seen The Shining. Uh, definitely opened my eyes to a whole other segment of, about this film and a whole other deeper meaning. Um, and just Kubrick's scary genius, essentially. Um, anyways, that's me signing off. Uh, check out the book as well if you haven't read that. And, um, you know, definitely let me know, guys, if there's anything you want me to review. Um, for next week um just could talk about all of king's adaptations uh for weeks but uh, we'll see we'll see what inspires me anyways signing off